Hiya, it's Malia, and you're listening to Sleeve Notes, a podcast by the Luna Collective where we dive deeper into the music and lives of some of your favorite emerging artists. Today, we're lucky enough to catch up with Noso, a Korean-American artist based in LA, chronicling the nuances of his identity through dreamy, indie alternative music. Noso's debut album, Stay Proud of Me, is an intimate glimpse into the life of Baek Hwang, the artist behind the stage name. The album is embalmed in coming-of-age insecurities and honesty that can only come from a record produced in a bedroom. Thanks so much for listening, and without further ado, a conversation with Noso. So, Beck, Noso, welcome to the Luna Collective's Sleep Notes podcast. Hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. Um, We've been following your work for quite a while at the Luna Collective. Um, Yeah, your debut in 2022 was just like one of the best of the year, honestly. It was so honest and Ah. Yeah, beautiful, truly beautiful work. Yeah, it's been like a year and a half since that came out, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been up to? <laughs> oh man, I've been just trying to make the second album and uh, I did some touring as well. I went on my first US headline tour, which was a great experience. Um, I went to the UK twice. Uh, I did my first European tour recently in September of 2023. Um, what else? Yeah, I've just been, I think, trying to have life experiences as well you know um as opposed to just thinking about music all the time um and that's been helpful also yeah i i'm sure i mean it it's kind of like working in an opposite direction if you're just always focused on like uh writing and and what's next and logistics um it kind of yeah leaves not as much room for the actual um experiences that you hope to probably write about um and I guess in that vein the album it was it was quite a personal album of mm, lots of transitions um like childhood to adulthood um just like identity in general um I guess to me the album sounded a lot like uh queer puberty um is how i've described it to people um because i think uh being queer we kind of go through this delayed puberty um i think that's a pretty blanket statement for everyone um but in that time since this album you changed your name you've transitioned um like how have things been for you um we don't have to go too personal but yeah I think it's an interesting process because it kind of happened throughout the process naturally of the album campaign which wasn't really my intention I think um I there was a lot of steps along the way I essentially did the biggest part of the process first which was surgery and then I kind of but then at the time was also not even outright about saying that I was trans I was like no I just want to get rid of them <laughs> like I'm, it's not tied to anything um and then very slowly I kind of went through the easier steps of the process quote unquote which was like cutting my hair and looking more outwardly masculine and then um just kind of tiptoeing and then being like oh I, I think I don't like I think I prefer these pronouns and then recently yeah name change was like the last thing which is kind of interesting it's usually the opposite direction for most people <laughs> um <laughs> 
but I think just because I was writing such personal songs that were all about that different facets of my identity I think um even when I was writing it I was I would be thinking like gosh this is really like I just keep writing about the same thing over and over again and I wonder if it if it you know there's a deeper topic that I probably need to address about myself <laughs> um and, and then yeah I think when I was talking about the songs in interviews I think I just realized that um, I wanted to be more outright about what it meant as opposed to being ambiguous about it. And then, um, yeah, just naturally through the process, I think the more I became more comfortable with, comfortable with myself, I think I got more comfortable talking on stage about what the songs were about. And um, yeah, so I think it was, I, I think of it as like, it was a very helpful tool for me uh, through my process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a very... I mean, there is no like uh, quote unquote normal or conventional way of doing any of this, um, but it is a very um, vulnerable way to go about uh, transitioning, like um, do doing it so publicly and through such like a, a personal medium. Um, yeah, music seemed like it seemed like a tool for you at the time. Um, do you still write from that place um, of music as more of a tool? Yeah, I think so. I think it's always been something of a coping mechanism for things going on in my life, but also especially with um, processing a lot of different things that I've experienced that I otherwise don't really feel comfortable addressing just in my general day-to-day -day life. I think I've talked about things in music that I would never say in conversations <laughs> with people, which is, you know, I think it's just, um, I think generally I'm a pretty introverted person and I kind of hold a lot in. And so I think music has been the one avenue for me to really be honest. Um, but it also comes with like, a, I think a degree of trying to also maintain like privacy, especially if I'm talking, a lot of my songs are addressing other people and I try not to teeter into telling stories that they've told me or like trying to step into their narrative. It's usually just coming from a place of like what I experienced um, from situations. And I really tried to remember that, I think, because um, it is as much as, you know, I love music as a form of being as honest as possible. I think there are moments where I, I write a lyric where I'm like, wow, that'll really get them. But then I'm like, that's not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, we actually you can't know? go that far. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, and it's, it's so interesting now, like there are queer teens and they're able to see themselves represented um, in artists like you. Um, I, I'm always, like fandom has always fascinated me so much. Um, and if you're willing to talk a little bit about like um, maybe growing up, if there were any like fixations that you had or like things that you had that were like, whoa, this is gonna change my life in some way. Or this is like also kind of a coping mechanism for me. Like I saw myself in One Direction a lot. I saw myself in Harry Styles a lot. I still have a poster of him in my bedroom. I think you can see it in the frame. I'm not going to point it out. Um, but yeah, like um, things like that. 
where I was like, this is going to mean something to me in a while, but it doesn't really yet. Um, did you have any experiences like that? Oh, gosh. I was deeply, yeah, just because I was really, I was a very weird kid while growing up. So I think that was kind of like my safe place to go to of just emerging myself and learning about all these different, you know, like cultural icons. Um, I really liked One Direction. I wasn't deeply into the fandom, but I've noticed a lot of queer people really liked them. <laughs> which is funny um I really love One Direction Zane is still one of my favorite singers I think he's amazing he's so cool um um, and then who else there was a gosh I think my parents showed me a lot of old Korean music when I was growing up and then they showed us um a lot of like k-pop artists prior to k-pop really coming into the western like prominence with artists like Blackpink I think before them um, they were more known in Korea. There was a lot of really great groups back then that I was watching like every week with my family. Um, and that was really the first time where I felt like a sense of pride with my identity, where I saw something that was so experimental, that was so popular. And so I think that really gave me a lot of hope. And so I was pretty deep into that as a teen. Yeah. That's sick. Oh my God. Yeah. And that, I guess, I mean, that hits on a lot of friends. Um, yeah, you grew up a Korean American um, and K-pop, yeah, now is huge in Western culture, but I'm sure growing up, I, I'm sure we're probably about the same age. Like that was not as much of, that was not dominant in Western culture like when we were growing up at all. Um, so to have that and to see that representation and also there's also just something so canonically queer about pop music but k-pop like specifically um yeah yeah so having that must have been incredible um and I think about how now like yeah there are teens that have you um can you speak on it all like what like how that switches in your brain like you were once that and now you are like this representation that you once maybe needed or had? Mm. I think it is quite interesting because I've gotten, a, I, I save every note that people write for me for shows and in and, and all these different places that I've been so far. Um, and it is quite surreal to, to read about people's experiences and how they feel represented um, and I've also, there's also people who are older than me who come to my shows and say, like, it's so nice that finally there's someone um, within a specific, with a certain identity that that felt niche. Like, I think I felt too niche when I was growing up. And especially when I came out as trans, I was like, full, I fully felt like I was like the only Asian trans mass person. <laughs> and then it was... Um, just because I never seen, I had never seen it represented in in the media, and so I think at my shows that was really some of the first time experiences I had, really meeting people who looked like me and and had similar experiences. So it was really cathartic in that way too. Um, but yeah, I think like there were a lot of artists like Mitski and Japanese Breakfast who were coming into prominence when I was in college, um, and at the time also felt like a cool secret between like music snobs were like oh do you know who Mitski is and now she's gigantic (laughs) yeah um yeah that was one of my experiences where really when I saw her music videos that was the first time I'd I'd ever felt represented I think in music Mm. and that didn't happen until like college you're saying 
yeah 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 and at that time you yeah. had already started really making music right you I, I know that you started playing guitar when you were like 12 right yeah yeah, yeah. I think I was always going into guitar stores where these old white dudes were like well you know music the music industry is a tough the tough is like um and I my parents would always be like gosh there's just like no there's not a lot of Asian people in this or just people of color like who like represented as much in the music industry and I think I was really scared for that reason because I felt like there wasn't a spot for me and so I think yeah when I was in college and I saw and I was trying to pursue music kind of like meekly at first because I was like god I don't know if there's a seat at the table mm -hmm. um and then yeah when they grew into prominence it was so relieving for me because I was like okay now it feels like they've they're kind of like paving the way for yeah. other people yeah there's like a path carved and with that comes branches and like with those branches you're able to find a place um a seat at the table or you make your own table or whatever it is whatever it is you want really um but it does feel like with its um greatness and its pitfalls um social media has kind of kind of helped that a bit um to like tiktok specifically i feel like there's there's been this ability for people to carve their own path um through that medium i actually you know i have i've talked to a lot of artists about it and we're all kind of under the same in i think everyone has varying degrees of their impressions of it and i think my feelings kind of fluctuate but i think the overlying feeling i have about it is that i think it is a pretty phenomenal tool for a lot of people who are not i mean i think I have a certain amount of resources because I'm signed to a label, but I think there are kids in their bedroom who are writing incredible songs who now get a chance to reach like sometimes like millions of people by just posting a video of them in their bedroom. And that seems to be what performs better than a professional video a lot of time, which I think is incredible. I think like there are so many amazing musicians that I've discovered from TikTok, like these random people like lave, you know, it's like that are in all these different kinds of places. Um, and I think even people who already, you know, have their kind of footprint in the music industry are also trying to utilize it as a tool. And I think as frustrating as it can be, you know, to be like, I'm not an influencer, I'm a musician, you know, like I saw this video of someone saying like, Tom York would never do this because like, this is so dumb. Why are we having to do this? And I understand the frustration I think all musicians do, but I think it's just, it's just the natural, you know, it's just, it's just what's happened with, with technology. And I think fortunately, unfortunately, musicians just kind of have to like, you, you know, you just kind of have to roll with it and just, I try and think about it as clocking in and clocking out as though it's like, you know, everyone has a, people who have a job, you don't love everything about it. You just kind of have to, you know, make sacrifices in order to do the things you really love. And so I think um, at times I'm like, oh, TikTok, but then so there's been like, I had a song that was sitting at like 2000 listens and then I played it in my bedroom and then all of a sudden, and, and then now a lot more people know about it. So I think it's like, um, yeah, I I think my overlying feelings are just that, 
there are a lot of benefits to it, even though it can be a little bit harsh on the soul. <laughs> Absolutely. I think clocking in and clocking out is a really good uh, way to view it um, because it does, it does, I'm sure it does sometimes feel like um, something you have to do. But yeah, there are the benefits of like, now people are listening to something that I spent countless hours on. Um, and I really, I really appreciate, and I'm sure a lot of other, like, um, even more music head people uh, appreciate the way that you do use your platforms to, like, kind of show how you've produced um, some of your work. And you talk about, like, um, yeah, kids in their bedroom, like, just having this, like, raw talent. Um, and you've kind of, like, provided this like groundwork of knowledge um i think you know social media is such it's just kind of like shouting into the abyss a lot of the time and so i think when i do it i try and come from a place where it, it's um something that i'm excited about and so i could talk about gear and all these different things all day because i love it and I, I think when i talk about how um, I made a song or playing a song. I think like I've been, I'm a guitar teacher. Like that's what I did for a very long period of time. And so I think it's just kind of natural for me to share in that way. And I think, um, I think when I would do videos like that, it's, it's like with the disclaimer of this is a difficult song, like it's difficult for me to play, but this is how, if you do it really, really slow, then like maybe it'll provide motivation to, to, listen to the song and, and try and learn it. And I think it really excites me when I see people posting covers of songs of mine from like watching tutorial videos. Um, and then with, yeah, the production videos, I think I spend my time watching people break down songs and how they produced it. And I think I've learned so much from that. And so I think even though I still very much feel like I'm learning um, with production and, and I in no way feel like I'm an expert with explaining things, I think it's like there are just certain approaches that every musician takes to production that is a bit um experimental and especially because like I think sometimes you come up with more interesting parts and ideas when you don't know like the rules for production and so I think I like watching videos of people being like I didn't know what I was doing with this but this is just like something I added and um yeah I think it's helpful and I think uh I think in general with social media you know I, and with releasing music, I think people think the audience is dum-dums and, and like don't think, I feel like the audience can always tell when like you hate doing something with social media, especially when artists are like, fuck TikTok, I hate this. It's like everyone can tell you don't like it. So I think it's like if you just find a way to share something that you like, I think it'll, I think it'll just come across as more genuine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you can totally tell that that is what you're meant to do is like, you, you're a really natural teacher. Um, so it makes sense that you've been teaching for a really long time. Um, speaking about like production, um, it, this might like you literally just said the audience is not dumb dumbs. I'm I might just ask a really dumb question, but like, how do you know when something is done? Like, how do you decide when it's this is this is as good as it's gonna get? This is like the peak. That's a really good question because I think every producer has a different opinion on it. And I think like, um, I've worked with a bunch of people where 
it, it essentially gets to the point where it feels like the song is swollen. And if you keep trying to add stuff to it, it's just going to make it, it's going to take away from what has already been built. And I think like, um, I know Naomi from Muna, who I really admire as a producer and musician, was saying that they only spend a few hours on a song and then they take breaks from it so that it can be fresh every time. Um, and that I think it's true. I think it's like when you have fresh ears and you return to a song and you listen to it, and if it's feeling really good, um, then that's usually when I decide that it's done. But I think like um, I, with my first album, I think it was a lot of um, letting go in a way because I listened to songs, I listened to them over and over again and I always would find something wrong with it. And there's always gonna be something that I think is wrong with it because um, I care about the project, but I think like it gets to a point of just being like, this is done and this is just a mark of my progress. This, These are not the only songs I'm ever gonna make in my life um, and yeah. Yeah, was um, the first project, was that, were you still learning? How, I mean, I guess you're always learning how to produce because you, you're never, you're always learning how to get better. Um, did it feel like, you were still in the beginning stages of learning how to produce at that point? Or had you like, do you have that under your belt at that point? I was very much, I think it still felt like I was learning. I think like Suburbia was the first song I produced, um, which I think kind of set the groundwork of being like, okay, I like, I typically gravitate towards these kinds of sounds now and this is what I like. But I think, um, yeah, I was definitely, I think it got to the halfway point in my album where I felt more confident mm -hmm. as in production. But I think even now I'm still, I think, um, whenever I, I'm working with someone who's a really, really um, like adept producer and I see their workflow, it, it teaches me like, um, and then sometimes I look back on my older songs being like, oh, wow, there was a lot of things that like I didn't realize um, that can help make certain parts pop and, and all that. And I think um yeah I I feel like I'm I'm really proud of that album in in terms of how much I felt like I learned through the process but um yeah I think of it as it was very much like uh, yeah just just me learning a lot through yeah. through every song and and what it did yeah I really like um what you just said about like this is not the only song I'm ever going to make. Like, this is not the only project I'm ever going to make. And you, you really do have to remember that um, in everything you do. Like, do you have uh, mantras or any sort of like, like sticky note memories that you have to like remind yourself of um, as you're creating this next project? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I just, um, I hung out with this really great musician, um, whose name is Andrew and he puts music out under the moniker War Strings. And he was saying that there was this, he was really stressed about making a project. And one of his favorite artists just said like, it's just music, you can you can always do it. And so I wrote out, it's just music on a little poster. And so whenever I'm freaking out about a song, it just, it just reminds me that like, even though it feels so all encompassing cause I care about it so much, um, it is just like in itself, you know, it can it's it is a meaningful thing everyone loves music but like it really just is you know it, it just is music it just, just is music yeah i that yeah. is super helpful and that applies to like quite literally everything um because yeah, yeah it, there will always be more and that doesn't diminish like the work you put into it ever like i think yeah i i definitely 
think there's so much value in like over analyzing and over critiquing um, one's own work, but there is a point where you really do just have to be like, okay, um, I'm gonna take a break. Um, this is it's it's just music. Working with Andrew, are like, are you collaborating more um, on this project than you were on the last one? I think so. Yeah. Um... On this record, I, I just got back from Virginia. I worked with a really great artist and producer um, named Jack Tatum, who puts out music under Wild Nothing. Um, and that was a really great experience. He's just absolutely, he's just so talented. And I think watching the way that he makes music was very inspiring. And also just getting out of LA was really inspiring. Um, and there's a couple other artists that I've been like poking at who I'm <laughs> interested in working with. Um, just cause I think like, as much as I love, uh, I think, you know, ego is always inherently part of making things. And so I think everyone loves a, like in the discography saying like all songs written by one person, cause it's, it looks satisfying, but I think it's just like, it sometimes gets to a point where, um, and I, I think it kind of correlates to individualism and thinking like, I can do all of this by myself. Like I am, you know, but I think I felt like I reached a ceiling in terms of creativity at a point where I was like I just keep using the same songs and I keep writing about the same thing it would be so nice to have fresh ears on this of someone who's outside of the project um and so I think that was also a lesson in just being able to kind of let go and being like I don't have to do everything by myself it's okay to like ask for help and also for um someone who has a whole different level of skill set to, to come in also yeah absolutely i think humility is so important in all creation like there's always going to be someone that's better than you like objectively at like something um and there's always something to learn um and even if it's just like a different set of ears it can provide so much support in in just like reevaluating how you see something like even just someone asking you questions or like probing at the things that you thought you knew it's it's so easy to like have that open up an entire new avenue of of thought and idea um so yeah props to you for having <laughs> the humility to to get outside of yourself um but also props to you for like yeah the and the last project was written entirely by you um if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah it yeah. was um and that's huge um and now you get to try something new which is also huge um have you been listening to um anything that's kind of been like acting as any inspiration for sounds you're going for or sounds you're not going for um, with this next record? Yeah, I actually, I like to listen to all kinds of music because I think um, even though I think on my last record, it was very much a lot of dreamy inspired, like 80s inspired music, which is my favorite, I think. Um, I kind of try to listen to everything from like, I, I really got into techno music <laughs> after I went to Berlin. Um, and I, I'm trying like so desperately to make a techno song that doesn't sound like, ass. um, because it's so, it's such an art form in itself, the way that 
people make that kind of music that I always kind of passed off as like, oh, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't make dance music, but I think I was so moved by it because I was like, oh, this is a whole different culture there. Um, and just seeing what makes people move and what makes people want to dance is, is so interesting. And, it, and like, it's so different from anything I've ever made before. And it feels like a challenge um, to learn these genres that I always like never really dive dove into. And I think, um, yeah, I was listening to a lot of that. Um, I listened to like a lot of, I really love folk music. I've been listening to a lot of Tracy Chapman's discography mm-hmm. and I've always loved Adrian Lenker and um, they use like a lot of really organic sounds as opposed to like the the kinds of sounds that I like to use. But I think, um, I think just listening to everything just kind of sneaks up subconsciously when you're writing in terms of influence. Um, but yeah. Wow. Okay, so we should be expecting a techno Tracy Chaplin <laughs> record. That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, big question: Did you go to Bergheim while you were in? <laughs> you did. Oh my god! Yeah. That no was way. You got it. We played it. No, yeah, we played at the venue right next door. Um, it's called like Bergheim um Katin, I think, and so um otherwise I don't think I would have been let in because I'm like I was like so nervous whenever we went up to the door um but me and my bassist were like we just played at the other venue and they're like oh yeah I got it <laughs> oh um, yeah I, I did not stay long I stayed like five minutes because I was overstimulated but just um yeah every uber ride also was like the driver would go like 100 miles per hour while blasting techno <laughs> and like <laughs> It was really fun um, <laughs> looking back on it. But yeah, the music just really stuck with me. I like really, really fell in love with it. That's sick. Yeah, Berlin is a very different place um, than anywhere else in the entire world. Um, so I'm really glad you got to experience that. Um, and I'm really glad that techno has stuck with you in a way. Because um, yeah, it is such an art form. And it's a very different art form than like the music you make or the music that Mitski makes or the music that like Adrian Linker makes. I I don't want to take too much more of your time, um, but I'd love to play a game of Mash if you're down for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So for the listeners that don't remember what Mash is, um, it's like a childhood game where you have these categories and you write down a few options in each category and. Essentially, I'm going to tell Beck his future. I'm going to I'm going to be a future teller right now. Um, and usually in Mash, it's so it's M A S H, and the objective is to tell the future. And in that, you will either have like a mansion, uh, an apartment, a shack, or a house. Um, in this version, since it's going to be kind of all like music and music career based. Um, the uh, options for that are actually going to be, you're going to make it. <laughs> Your AI is going to take over everything before you get the chance to make it. Um, you're going to become a sellout or uh, you're going to have a humble career, which is all of those are decent enough. I know, I know, Beck, you said that you're kind of superstitious. All of these are completely unserious. I am not a fortune teller. Um, we're just going to have a little fun. Um, so the categories are, um, 
name of your next album, instruments you're gonna learn for the next album, because you learned quite a few for the last one, I believe. Biggest collab, and then TikTok song that you have out now that somehow, not somehow, but goes like extremely viral and becomes your biggest hit. So, <laughs> um, do you have some ideas for your next album title? I don't. Let me okay. think. Oh no! Yeah, I have no idea. I'm gonna say, um, uh, I got one. you got one. Okay. Just maybe just Bergheim or something. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, I was gonna go with like um, something techno-y as well. So Bergheim works. Dessert for the ears. Dessert for the ears. Yeah. Like kind of like natural sounding, I'm assuming. We're going to do four per category. Any other ideas for title of the album? This the sophomore album. Oh, man. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could just name things that are in my room right now. That's I just kinda... got a synth. Um, I got a synth today. It's called okay. Base Station. So Base that's... Station. Okay, cool. Base Station. Congrats on the new synth. <laughs> I need to stop. Um, <laughs> and then maybe it's just music. It's just music. Okay, perfect. Uh, those are all great options. Um, okay, instrument that you're going to learn for this next record that you don't already know some of. That's the caveat. Oh, man. Saxophone? Sax. I um, Do you know the oboe? I don't. I wish I did. Okay, we're going to do oboe. <laughs> um, I think, like, world instruments, like, like Congo. Okay. Um, and then drums probably okay wait i'm kind of shocked um <laughs> that you don't know drums that is not a diss i don't know any yeah. instruments yeah, we were required to do like very very level one proficiency drums at, at music school but like okay. i can't okay. hold it down <laughs> okay that's fair that's fair um okay biggest collabs maybe not i think biggest is i don't really like the word biggest let's just do like fave that's also kind mm -hmm. of okay collabs oh man ethel kane okay let's get some ethel in here i think that would sound really nice oh yeah. my dream the two of your voices would be uh, crazy thanks. um mitski pro yeah mitski mitski honestly uh, dream 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 like the biggest dream would be frank ocean oh frankie boy okay and one other Japanese breakfast yeah okay okay um and then easy one uh song you have now that blows up on TikTok there's a few I've been like really pushing um <laughs> I feel you I feel you let's go um Caitlin because oh yeah Caitlin <laughs> it's it's on its way Sorry, which one were you saying? Suburbia? Okay. 
uh, feeling like a woman lately. Okay, perfect. Okay, and now, so I'm going to start drawing a spiral and you're going to tell me when to stop and that's our like magic number that we're going to use to determine your future so you can just tell me when to stop anytime stop okay perfect one two three four five six seven eight nine okay i have your future are you ready to hear it I'm ready okay it's kind of a great one so so your next album is going to feature you playing the saxophone um with miss ethel kane herself on a track um and the title of the album is going to be called bergheim and uh <laughs> the song that blows up on tiktok is none other than caitlin your latest single oh yeah yeah, I know. And guess what? You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Um, are you satisfied with your future? Very satisfied. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I could provide that. Um, and if anything other than those things happen, I'm actually not liable at all. So, no. So, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, we're all really excited for what's coming. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you delving in a little bit. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We'll talk soon, I hope. Thank you. Thanks so much again for listening. You can show Beck some love on Instagram at Music. Maybe suggest some instruments you'd like to hear on the second record. You can follow Sleeve Notes podcast on Spotify to get notified when new episodes drop. And you can also follow the Luna Collective at Luna Collective Mag on Instagram to stay in the loop about sleeve notes and for some potentially exclusive content of the podcast. If you happen to have any artists that you'd love to hear from on sleeve notes, you can let me know at Malia Hartnett on Instagram. Thanks again to Noso for coming on the pod and we'll chat with you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.